What's good, wrestling fans? This is the Open Door Wrestling Podcast, your guide to the wrestling multiverse and all that is great and good within. I am the subtle doctor, and along for the ride, as usual, is my tag team partner, um, the man who's covered in, in more gold than Ultimo Dragon after a J Crown defense. <laughs> It's DJM. You know, Doc, funny you say that, because I think that my first real thought into the world of professional wrestling outside of the mainstream was when Ultimo Dragon made his debut in World Championship Wrestling, and he had the eight belts of the J-Crown at the same time. I think it was Ultimo Dragon that really kind of opened me up to the idea of wrestling in other places. And I've kind of been a fan of wrestling outside of the mainstream for just about that long. And mm. I, I love doing this podcast. I love that we're going to talk about Forbidden Door later because it's very validating as a wrestling fan for a long, long time. And I think that we are the perfect podcast to talk about all of the things that are happening right now. So let's just jump in. Uh, let's let's get our stocks out of the way, and then let's talk about all of this wrestling that there is. Okay, that sounds like a plan to me. But before we get going, let me just say to everyone out there listening, listen, if you can, subscribe, if I let you. And I let you please subscribe and then, and then unsubscribe, unsubscribe and then resubscribe and then unsubscribe and then resubscribe and then leave a review. Thank you very much. Five stars, please. Uh, yeah. OK, so if you are new to the show, what we like to do uh, right off the top is give our stock report. It's a pretty simple little segment where DJM and I uh, talk about who's maybe trending upward uh, in the professional wrestling business and who or what. Uh, is trending downward. And then, if you're a lucky listener, you'll hear us give a real long shot futures bet that may not look like it's uh, worth too much now, but believe you me, you'd be wise to put your money on them for long-term success. DJM, give us your first stock up. My first stock up uh, might be a little surprising to a lot of wrestling fans out there. But it's someone that I never quite got until recently. Uh, they didn't really click for me until... <laughs> this is going to make me sound like I'm on the payroll. They didn't, really cl they didn't really click for me until I saw them in AEW. And that's Tony Storm. Oh, what an AEW shill you are. <laughs> I know, I know. I can't help it. But the truth is... I saw Tony Storm's work on the independence and in stardom. And then did I watch her in WWE? Absolutely not. But everything I saw from Tony Storm was that she was just okay, but nothing particularly special. I knew she had a fan following and I, I thought she's fine. Like I don't hate her, but I don't exactly see her as like the next Manami Toyota or, or the next Tristratus, <laughs> right? 
Sure. And then she showed up at AEW. And AEW does a good job of giving the talents that they have on TV ring time. And one thing that I really like is being able to see wrestlers that I'm not entirely familiar with, or maybe only having a passing familiarity with, get ring time to where they can actually show what they can do. And after seeing some of Tony Storm's matches in AEW on television and some of her recent promos, it finally clicked in what people see in Tony Storm. And now I get what people see in Tony Storm or why people believe she could be the face of a women's division if if done correctly. Well, so I'm going to be the Tony Storm hipster here and say I liked her before she was cool in AEW. <laughs> um, no, I remember, I mean, seeing her stuff in stardom, uh, but not, you know, I won't sound like too much of a hipster here. Uh, the time she came back to stardom before she went to NXT UK. But before that, I saw some of her stuff in progress uh, before progress was gobbled up by Galactus. Um, and I was always really impressed with her. Uh, I always thought, you know, I, I, you know, funnily enough, I don't remember any of the promos she cut. So the character stuff she's doing in AEW feels very new and fresh. But I've always liked what she brought to the table in terms of in-ring. I thought that she was just exemplary good there. And it's why I was honestly so, so surprised that uh, that Stanford, you know, didn't elevate her more than they did. But that's neither here nor there because, you know, today in uh, July 2, 2022, she is, you know, uh, a top player in a women's division in a major American promotion. And thank God we have more than one. Yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, but yeah, A++, Tony Storm. Um, yeah. My stock up is uh, our roles are going to be reversed, DJM, because I'm going to talk about someone that I did not get at first, but I came around on, and you have been singing the praises of this man much longer than I have. Um, even though I think I might have seen him First, uh, I'm talking about El Phantasmo. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing him in progress in Rev Pro and being like, well, here's a nice mid-card baby face, you know, kind of whatever. And then uh, longtime listeners of our work will know in a, in a previous podcast life, we talked about ELP when he debuted for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And I was very put off by the kind of heel work he was doing. Uh, and I just look at my my previous stance on it and I just pass Doc. I just want to smack him in the back of the head because I actually really, really enjoy all the character work this man is doing. Um, and he's a fantastic worker and he's been that way for a long time. So why am I giving him a stock up now? A couple of reasons. He's moving up to heavyweight. Uh, he had a very good best of the super juniors. He just missed out on the final. I think like the, the day before the final, like uh, he came down to the wire and, uh, he was, uh, eliminated by Desperado, I believe. Um, but who should have won? That's right. Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) But uh, Hey, Hey, 
at least uh you know at least the bone soldier you know still has has the title it's not a the hiromu show at the minute yeah that's fair um but no elp then decided you know he's gonna move up to heavyweight and you know i've heard that this I don't know if this was the plan A, but certainly because New Japan does not have access to all the AEW talent that they might have wanted for the G1, but due to the just rash of injuries in All Elite, um, they are uh, elevating Phantasmo, and he's going to get to be in the G1, and I think he's going to do really, really well. We got to see ELP show his stuff at Forbidden Door in a really incredible way. And I just think, like, I look at this guy and the talent he has and kind of the path he's walked thus far, and I say, why can't he... This is going to sound blasphemous to some people, but why can't he be the next kind of Kenny Omega in terms of the way they book him? You know, start as a junior, heel comedy guy, elevate to heavyweight, and then kind of slowly but surely turn him from pure comedy act to like lean on his work rate and elevate him into the main event scene. I see it for the guy. I think the office in New Japan really likes him. And I think he's got all the tools to succeed. You know, can he be as big of a star as Omega? Like, is he exactly as talented? I don't know if I would go that far, but in, in terms of the way, the kind of push they're going to give him, I see it. I think that they're going to put the rocket uh, pack on ELP. I think they are too. And I like that because I think uh, in our previous podcast life, I was saying that El Phantasmo's heel work was just my flavor of heel shenanigans. He He is over-the-top, obnoxious, and goofy as a heel. And I absolutely love that. And that's really what got me on El Phantasmo, because nowadays, and especially in New Japan, just about everybody can have a good match. Sure. You need a little more to stand out than that. And I feel like since he came over and since he joined Bullet Club, El Phantasmo figured that out. And... Yeah, he upset some people on Twitter because he he honestly was just being a heel. That's really all he was doing. And some people didn't get that, and that's okay. Uh, it's awesome that he's going to be in the G1 this year, and this will be a real test run for him, and I'm excited for him because I, I feel like he's earned this opportunity, and I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. Um, we, we, our vision is aligned on Phantasmo. Mm-hmm. Um, so stock down. This is where we, we go heal, come a little bit of a bad guy. Maybe hurt us with some feelings. DJM, who is your stock down? The trolls, doc. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't see that one coming, uh, but I like it. Tell me more. Well, Doc, you remember hearing that with the build-up to Forbidden Door that people wouldn't care about the show because 
we don't know who the New Japan stars are and <laughs> people won't care, right? That's exactly what happened to you when you saw Ultimo Dragon in WCW. You you melted. Your brain was like, who is this foreign man on my television with all these titles from promotions? I don't know. Ah, I'm never watching again. <laughs> well, see, I had the exact opposite thing. When I saw that, it was like, I need to see like where all yeah. of this other wrestling is happening. Exactly. And, and there is going to be some young wrestling fan out there that watched Forbidden Door and their whole mind is going to be opened to the entire pro wrestling multiverse. Now, it was reported that the pay-per-view buys for Forbidden Door were over 120,000. Despite us apparently not knowing who any of the New Japan stars are, despite the matches being filled with injuries and what have you, and all you heard were the trolls telling us that this show was going to be terrible, the show was going to tank, and how none of this was going to be good. And they were also talking about how AEW was losing their ratings, uh, forgetting that the NBA Finals were happening, the Stanley Cup Finals were happening, all conveniently ignoring these things. And also, then like, the I apologize. Sorry, DJ. I just sure, wanted to, sure. to also highlight that, like, the last two weeks of Dynamite, not this week, not the Blood and Guts, but the, the pre-Forbidden Door shows. If you go back and take a look at the not just the Dynamite number, but cable numbers writ large, you know, take a look at the big list. N not only did Dynamite, like, finish number one, and cable both those nights despite the number being down like television for whatever reason i don't know if it's power outages due to storms or if it's just people deciding eh, we're not really going to watch cable tonight whatever like it's been some like lowest of the decade tv viewing um on on a couple of the last dynamites pre-forbidden door and yet they still finish number one and yet the Tanahashi Moxley segments in particular always grew the audience, no matter where they were in the show. Hiroshi Tanahashi. Enough said. The ace of the Nielsen verse. That damn right he is. <laughs> that's that's the show title, Doc. That's the show title. <laughs> okay, good. So what I essentially want to say to the the Thursday morning concern trolls that will parse through all of the things that AEW is doing wrong. Um, yeah, no, y you were wrong about all of it. And we're going to talk about how great Forbidden Door was later. And we're going to talk about Blood and Guts later. And the rating came out for Blood and Guts and... AEW is back to over a million. So, yeah, to the trolls, you were wrong. <laughs> All of you were wrong. Stay mad. <laughs> just stay mad. <laughs> yes, our, can our stock down just be the Jim Cornette drive through podcast? <laughs> oh, man. I don't know if I can beat that with a stock down, because honestly, like I was saying to you just before we started recording, I mean, I think wrestling has just been so, so good lately. Like, I've been seeing 
a lot of great matches on the independents. Mm-hmm. AEW has has been you know excellent. Um, New Japan, I feel like, is really back. Um, I I'm gonna I'm gonna break with tradition here. I'm not gonna give a stock down. Okay. I I'm I'm gonna give a stock up. My second stock up. Hey, I love it. Is I'm all about the power of positivity. Uh, and this won't become a habit. I assure you, I'll have some something to be critical of <laughs> in the future. Uh, but my second stock up, uh, I'll give it to, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll exercise some big horn energy and give it to the wild rhino Clark Connors. Yes. Who like is, is one of these guys like it, you know, I think we had a conversation recently where, you know, I was saying, you know, man, I haven't really, I don't know if I have a guy who I've followed from just the embryonic stages of his career all the way until he was like top of the card guy, you know. Um, but Clark is someone who, you know, now that I think about it, I mean, I really have seen him since like his early, early days, like even before he was getting on the Japanese, you know, the new Japan world shows. And before new Japan strong existed, um, when new Japan was touring the States, they came to Nashville a couple times and I saw Clark wrestle. Um, I saw him wrestle pedophile, Marty Skrull. <laughs> and, uh, I believe I saw him wrestle. Um, I want to say maybe Carl Fredericks, maybe Coglin, mm. uh, maybe another young lion, but, but no, I, I, I saw him then and I just loved, loved what he brought to the table and been keeping an eye on him over the years on new Japan world. Uh, and he's really coming to his own on strong. And now he's, you know, as, as we all know, you're no longer in the black trunks. He's got this sort of safari uh, kind of character, which I think is really fun for him, especially in Japan. I think it's going to be uh, a hit. You know, I've seen the Korokin faithful with the big horn energy shirts. Uh, so he's getting over there. He had a really nice best of the super juniors. You know, he didn't finish with a winning record, but like, I mean, the dude got four wins. It's, it's you know, when you see him hey, lose all the time, you're like, that's not nothing, man. He got four wins in BOSJ. Um, and he, I mean, he had great matches with like Hiromu and stuff. He, he beat Tomaki Hanma. And let me tell you, talk about not nothing. I think that is a signal more than anything of the office really liking this guy. Cause mm-hmm. Clark Connors is still a junior heavyweight and Hanma is a heavyweight. Hanma is a low card heavyweight, but as as much as those lines might have blurred in recent years in New Japan, they are still there. And you have a junior beating a heavyweight uh, to to move on in the tournament. Ultimately, he, he did not beat Ishii, had himself a hell of a match. But the, you know, Ishii's uh, bad luck is Clark Connor's opportunity. And he got to fly to Chicago and wrestle in front of 17,000 screaming fans at the United Center who I would probably say like 90% of them didn't know who he was, but now they know. 
and that's huge for him. And I, th- I think he had a great accounting of himself at Forbidden Door, and I think it's only he's only going to get better. What I really liked when I saw Clark Connors at Forbidden Door, he had an interview segment, and he actually kind of conveyed what he was about. He he cut a pretty good promo for himself, and. That made me really happy for him. That was like, yeah, Clark Connors, show him what you got. Let him know. And I was really happy for him with that. And it showed that he's more than just a guy who wrestles. And he's got a little Mm -hmm. bit of personality and a little bit of character. So I think that is a great pick on your part because I I can see things going upwards for him in the future. Let's get wild. As he says, that's a that's a great catchphrase too. <laughs> it's it really, a really good. But the young lion system is just so good. It's so good for getting you invested in these guys and their long term <laughs> careers. True. It's unfair, honestly. I feel like it's sort of emotionally manipulative in some way. It's because I just that, wasn't that what wrestling storm. is. That's true. You know what? Yeah. That is absolutely the case. You're you're yeah. very right. Um. Now let's talk about emotions. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, we still have to do futures before we, we yes. move on to the big. I, I have a futures pick, Doc. I do, this too. Is someone that I saw on AEW Rampage recently. Okay. Lainey Luck. Mm. Um, she was in a tag team match against Serena Deeb and Mercedes Martinez. I'm sorry, I forgot her partner. Uh, the match was a squash, but... Lainey Luck, to her credit, had some stuff and some things that she did that really helped her stand out. She bumped well. She sold well. She had some moves. She had some counters. Uh, It really looked like she knew what she was doing and really belonged there in the ring on AEW Rampage. She didn't look like she was out of her element. And I I love finding... Anybody that's kind of on the independence or maybe getting a chance on Dark or Rampage, that really catches my eye and it makes me want to follow them. I did this with Kylan King. I did this with Red Velvet. And I think that's a, that's a tried and true way to get wrestling fans interested in you and get more eyes on you. So... I am investing some future stock in Lainey Luck, and I'll be keeping an eye on what she's doing uh, elsewhere. I really like this pick. This is a good pick, I think, because it bodes well for her that AEW keeps on using her um, and that the profile of her her spots is increasing because I had seen her. um, I had seen her on some independent show or other. Maybe it was like warrior wrestling, I want to say. Um, but I'd also more notably seen her on dark. Um, and so it's cool that she's getting a spot on a rampage, even if it's a squash. Um, and I, I remember first seeing her on dark, you know, it's been almost a year. So if they're still using her, I think that that's very good. And, you know, if she's someone they can rely on as enhancement talent, or, you know, hopefully, uh, they can, you know, give her a push at some point if they, if they see something in her, I think that's super cool. I think that that's, it's good that there are pathways upward. I love to see the upward mobility in promotions. You know, that the, Oh, it's not like 
the top of the card is filled with free agents, right? You could still be a draft pick, so to speak, that uh, that does Agreed. well for yourself. And, and that's what you hope for with a wrestling promotion that you're a fan of. You want to see somebody start from the bottom and make their way to the top. That's That's an incredibly validating and satisfying feeling. It's the oldest story in the book, but it's a, it's a great one. It is now doc. Shall we jump in? I have a futures pick this week. (laughs) (laughs) What's the many weeks? I do not, uh, but I have one. All right. Um, Okay. So I have been thrilled with my boy, William, Billiam, the goat, Osprey, he's my futures pick. <laughs> he's well, no. Um, I've been happy that uh, when he's been uh, while he's been in America, he hasn't just been hanging out. He has been touring the Indies, and he's had uh, just a handful of really great matches. What a match that's getting talked about uh, a lot is his match with Nick Wayne from GCW. Yeah, what is the what is the what is there? It was uh, I never liked you. I think is the name of that show. Yes, yes. Um, that match was amazing, but he had another match. Um, I want to was it in California. I can't remember what says. So the indie is called West Coast Pro, um, and they have been getting uh, in in the podcast circles that I listen to a, a pretty decent amount of buzz as an independent that's worth keeping an eye on. Um, and they have a kid there that Will Ospreay wrestled a couple weeks ago named Titus Alexander. And he is one to keep an eye on. He is not as polished as Will, of course, but he hung with them. And not he's not just like I say he hung with Will Ospreay. And that might make you think, okay, we got a moves guy here. And he's got moves. But the thing that he has that I think will take him far, the, the special quality, is presence. He has a great crowd connection with the West Coast Pro crowd. And when he walks into the gym, you feel like he owns the gym. Hmm. He's the top dog in the room. And he knows it. Like you just see that. You feel that from his aura. He's got that. You see it in his face. And... If he keeps working on his game, he could go really far. I mean, he's someone who could work AEW Dark like right now um, and and put on a really good show. And I mean, I definitely think you'll be seeing him sooner than later in places like that. Or, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe your impacts or your, your high-profile indies like Warrior. Because um, he's he's really, really good. So I think one for the future, for sure. Okay, so everybody keep an eye on Laney Luck and Titus Alexander. Okay, we've done our stocks, Doc. I believe we now can talk about AEW and New Japan's co-production from the United Center in Chicago, Forbidden Door. Ah, the main course. <laughs> Let's get into it. Yeah, buddy. The show has a 9.27 currently on cage match, which mm. is insanely high. It's that is the only AEW show higher than that 
is All Out 2021, Return of CM Punk and Adam Cole. Uh, but and really, I mean, more than have... Cole, it's just the Punk return, you know? Yeah. Wasn't that also the same night Brian Danielson showed up? Yes. Oh, my God. You're so right. Yes, the Danielson, yeah. the Cole, the the Ruby Soho match. Um, yeah. Debut is popping off left and right. That's... That's the only show that's currently uh, rated higher for AEW. I haven't actually looked at New Japan. Uh, those are some Japan two thousand. Sorry, go those ahead. are some mid two thousand Noah numbers. <laughs> it's true. Yes. Yeah, you're so right. You're so right. Uh, so, where do you want to start with Forbidden Door? Um, do you want to? So, what I was thinking, and, and you tell me if you want to go in a different direction. That we kind of that we talk a little bit about, and you you have. Uh, broken the seal on this discussion earlier when you talked about the trolls, but we could talk about our own expectations for the show and then get into our overall thoughts, like big picture stuff and then tackle specific items we might want to address. I think that works. I think that works. What were you expecting from this show? Like not just when the card was announced, because we have, we have podcast data. (laughs) We have, we're on the record when the show was announced, we talked about that, but like, and, and you could talk about that some, but then as the weeks went by leading up to the show and, and we got injuries and we got all kinds of, you know, negative news. What were you thinking the show was going to be like? I was expecting this still after everything forbidden door was going to be a show loaded with too much wrestling talent to at least not have good in-ring action. The stories might be thrown out, which it appears they kind of were for the most part, but everyone worked really hard, and all of the wrestling ended up being really, really enjoyable. And it just reminded me that sometimes when the crowd is there and they want the show to be well, if you just give them just a little bit of exciting action. The rest will take care of itself. This was a, this was a feel good wrestling show. Uh, People were there to have a good time and enjoy themselves. Uh, Not to analyze or, or hyper analyze or hyper focus on the stories or anything like that. They were there to see AEW guys and new Japan guys put on an awesome show. And, I was pretty well entertained by it. There was just too much good in-ring action and too many stars and too good of a presentation for me to end up really being down on this show. I think Kevin Kelly fit in perfectly with Tasnick's caliber for the majority of the show. I think Jim Ross did a great job in highlighting the significance of Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi for the fans that may not be familiar to them. I think Jim Ross, to his credit, did a great job with that for the last few weeks when it came to Tanahashi and Okada specifically. He really highlighted those two and how special they are. And I think also uh, the All-Atlantic title match Uh, That one was a pleasant surprise. I know that one has been a point of discussion. Uh, I did not expect Pac to win, but it was a pleasant surprise for me. Uh, Clark Connors really shined in that match. I think when he had his moments, he he really brought his A game. And and I was really happy about that for him. 
uh, the six-man tag with the team that I'm calling Los Dingobernables yes. versus the team that I'm calling the Obnoxious Club was <laughs> very much a banger. Uh, it, it was great to see Shingo uh, get introduced to American audiences. Uh, Sting continuing to just be Sting. And I've said this now online, and I'm saying it here. AEW needs to expedite their trios titles because mm. I need El Fantasmo and the Young Bucks again as a trio. They were just over the top and too much in the best way possible. That is my new favorite trio. I need El Fantasmo and the Bucks. I think ELP brings a sort of not that anything has been wrong with the Bucks at all. But I have just missed, like you said, that that extra too much kind of energy that really was in force when Omega and the Good Brothers were with the Young Bucks. And it was just like I just wallowed in it. It was incredible. And like if ELP can kind of channel the gallows and just be his dumb where the big dumb jackets with the the that light up and the big stupid sunglasses and headbang and stick his tongue out like that's perfect perfect it, it's a perfect trio they really are um the expected surprise of the debuting claudio castagnoli versus Zack saber jr was as good as i expected it to be uh, one of these days, Zack Sabre Jr. is going to get a win. God damn it. <laughs> damn it. He's losing. We're going to talk about this in our next big segment, though. All right. Uh, when we talk about the G1. And I will say also, I believed, I had no doubt in my mind that Orange Cassidy and Will Ospreay would more than likely have the match of the night. I wasn't worried about that at all because nope. I genuinely believe Orange Cassidy is one of the smartest and most talented wrestlers in the world. And Will Ospreay is Will Ospreay. When that match was announced, I was immediately like, oh, this one's going to blow everybody away. This one's going to be a banger. And it was. It was exactly what I expected. I thought Orange Cassidy was brilliant at what he does. I thought Will Ospreay was great, and they had really good chemistry with one another. They worked really well together, and it was an awesome match. Um, For me, Doc, also, hearing Justin Roberts announce Kazuchika Okada, <laughs> giving him the full Kenny Omega slash John Moxley big ring intro, was just infinitely satisfying. <laughs> and lastly... Hiroshi Tanahashi main eventing an American wrestling pay-per-view and having a crowd full of American yes. wrestling fans chanting go ace. It just, it filled my soul with so much joy because as someone who has preached the gospel of the ace for so long and seeing him get that much love and respect, it was just it was very validating and gratifying and satisfying because man, does Tanahashi deserve that? Give Hiroshi Tanahashi his flowers as if he doesn't get enough of them. Give him more. 
Give him more. Give him more. Not never enough, honestly, for the ace, for the man who saved New Japan Pro Wrestling, played a huge part in in bringing it up from the doldrums, as you as you've talked about many times, uh, and just shown uh, his style of wrestling to everyone and and spread the love and the joy that professional wrestling can bring more than almost anybody in new japan um and you know we've talked about as well that like okada has kind of inherited a lot stylistically from him in terms of the way he structures his matches so it's like tanahashi's kind of passing down everything he is to the next generation by way of okada who will in turn pass it in the future so like the ace will just continue to live on and his vision of pro wrestling and again just the the happiness and elation it can bring to all of us we'll we'll just keep living on and it was an awesome thing to see him in the main event like you said and have seventeen thousand people chanting go ace and the dueling let's go moxley tanahashi like it was incredible an incredible feeling um okay so have you any more uh, thoughts or shall I launch into it uh, with my my take on things? I will say that I felt like everybody really brought their A game and mm. it ended up being really, really good. Yes. Yes. Okay. Expectations wise. I have... Um, what I will charitably to myself call an I had a nuanced take <laughs> on what I thought Forbidden Door would be like. I thought that I mean certainly when when it was announced that it would happen, I was just ecstatic. So happy. Like this is what we've been waiting for since AEW started. Cause it was the guys from New Japan starting a promotion and they surely once wounds had healed would bring new Japan to the masses and it didn't happen. It didn't happen. And then it did. And we get this co-promotional show and it's going to be way better than the Noah show. Cause, cause it's not going to be the same. Tony Khan is not the same kind of kind of booker, right? That, that a Japanese booker would be so concerned about his guys taking falls and everything. And then the injuries begin to happen. The card comes out. The build is what it is. And I'm disappointed. I am not. The thing that I am not doing leading up to the show is saying that the show will bomb, fail, or be bad. I have never thought that. Um, That is not me rewriting history. Despite being disappointed with the card and understanding I think what we all understood the day before Forbidden Door, that this was not the ideal situation. Okay, that that if we had, you know, Punk and the AAA guys and Danielson and all this, that, that the card could be even better. And and we we wanted that. That was taken from us. And then on top of that, things happened that I was just simply annoyed by because I thought. The politics are becoming too much. So many three ways and four ways. The IWGP four way was like, 
when it was announced, I I was really kind of annoyed. It's like you really like we can't have Adam Cole, uh, you know, take a fall. We can't have Okada take a fall. Like Hangman, like give us a singles match. You know, g- give us what we really really want. But that was not to be. And I thought to myself, this is going to be a fun show. This is going to be a good show. Orange was not my ideal opponent for Will. There were a lot of guys I would rather see wrestle Will Ospreay, I thought to myself. But I still, like you, thought it would be the best match on the show. Let me tell you. Everything over delivered. Everything was massively beyond what I could imagine successful not just in terms of star ratings and in-ring work but in terms of like just the way the crowd embraced everything and the way that everyone was talking about how great it all was online everything just exceeded my wildest dreams orange versus will thought it would be the match of the night it blew away the expectations i had for it it was like It's going to be a low-level match of the year contender for a lot of people. Everything on the show was so good. Like, even the worst matches, I thought, there's nothing below three and a half stars on this show, uh, excluding the the buy-in. And I thought the buy-in was the best buy-in they've ever done. That was a fantastic pre-show full of cool matches. The buy-in solid. I mean, great angles and it just fun stuff, like really fun stuff. And like when Yoshihashi and Goto came out, the crowd just went bananas for them. And, you know, that had to be part of what made the show great, too, was that the guys from New Japan are like, oh, my God, we get to wrestle in front of screaming fans again and a bunch of them. And it fueled them. You could just you could see like when Okada came out, how he just was like drinking in the noise. And when Tanahashi came out, he was just bathing in the cheers and it was just so it was a show that to me encapsulated what AEW is about because when AEW was formed it always seemed like the celebration of wrestling it's for nerds by nerds you know what i mean like people that loved wrestling were going to finally take control and put on a major wrestling show and like this felt so celebratory and all the concern trolling, like you said, was just proved to be so much like just hogwash drivel, like the build. It might not have been ideal, but you know what? Tony Khan and Gato got over who needed to get over. Will Ospreay and the Empire, Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi got TV time, got established. They got over. And I mean, This whole idea of like, no one is going to know who these people are like this, just hardcores, you know, Mike Tanay saying like, if they do 90,000 buys, it'll be a wild success because this kind of thing is just never going to catch on. It was just so amazing to see all the fan support and like, so I think like an absurd amount of buys were from Japan like through New Japan World, like more than you'd expect. Yeah. So I got thousands of buys from there in addition to like Fight TV and traditional pay-per-view. 
And I will say this as, as uh, another, maybe my final big picture thought. DJM, this show brought me back to AEW. Because hey. I've been drifting. I've been drifting. You know, when, when CM Punk won the title from Adam Page and they began, the, the, the company was in the throes of this worked shoot MJF angle. It really felt like something, something that started when Cody Rhodes left had like reached its end point, like that my AEW was no more that, that the guys that began the promotion when it was a nothing, when it was a huge risk professionally, um, and when they were wrestling in front of only each other at the pandemic, uh, guys that have been there since then, you know, we're not really getting as much time and, and, a lot of guys were cashing in on the foundation they had built and, and that's fine. And I'm not even saying Tony Khan is not smart to book things the way he has, because clearly this company is growing and year over year, month over month, it's, it's getting bigger and bigger and they're bringing in stars that people want to see. And it's awesome. You know, this wrestling is the celebration of wrestling, this company, but just something about the hangman page story ending and him losing his, you know, the title and everything. It really felt like, man, like that era that I love so much is over. And I don't I don't know if I want to keep going. And I didn't watch AEW for the first time ever. Like dynamite would happen and another dynamite would happen and another. And I, was, hey, I just don't know if I care that much. Hmm. But seeing but but I had to watch Forbidden Door because, you know, my nuge boys were in it and seeing everything that happened there and then catching re-catching up on kind of the build up to it. I was like, man, it's still just so fun. AW so fun. It really and, is, man. Gosh, it's just a fun promotion. And I just got to go with the flow here and not take things so seriously, I guess. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I thought this show, I think this is going to be, a lot of the like very online wrestling fans show of the year. I think there's a very good chance of that. I think there's a very good chance. I think we've said it all about forbidden door. Uh, It was a feel good wrestling show. It was a celebration of wrestling. It was uh, a celebration of professional wrestling for professional wrestling fans and people who love the art form. And that's okay, man. It is okay to appreciate pro wrestling for the sake of pro wrestling. Yeah. And that's what this was. And I, okay. Two more things. I, I will often uh, nitpick AEW pay-per-views because of the length. And I think I will amend that critique. Maybe seeing Forbidden Door and how amazing it was has made me think, Maybe it's not a pure length issue as much as it is a pacing issue because mm-hmm. Forbidden Door was a long show, but I just thought it was paced so well. At no point was I like, well, this is the bloated part. This is the bad match or this is the thing I'm not interested in or this is too long. This match, it was all like so watchable and and really click it. Everything. I mean, 
if you skip the women's match on the show, what are you doing? I mean, this was like one of the best women's titles matches they've had in, in, in ages. This match was great. <laughs> Everything was so great. And I don't think it's like the Wrestle Kingdom where like the the Meltzer stars are going to be like the, it didn't necessarily peak as high as all that. But like the floor was so high and it was just so consistent. Um, And like, you know, I, I'm curious that about a thing that you said, DJ, I'm about the, the stories. Because I was not as plugged in during the build. Yeah, like, I don't know. I thought maybe I just think about story in wrestling differently. Um, because when I see like Will Ospreay and Orange Cassidy, or when I see Clark Connors getting in uh, the tournament uh, in the place of, of Ishii uh, and facing Pac and Pac winning, like to me, like their careers are the stories. You know what I mean? Um, and I don't care like, I mean, I care, but like Pac and Clark Connors don't have to have exchanged words via promo for me to care. It's like Pac is could get a title, a thing that he's deserved for ages and and probably would have had if not for the pandemic. Um, And and that's to me like stuff like that is story enough, like Clark Connors getting a chance to shine and Okada, like being in the same ring as like hangman and and adam cole and jay white like that all those big personalities coming together that we've all kind of seen i don't know and uh, maybe i'm just different and and have different uh maybe other wrestling fans have different needs and that's also fine that's okay i don't think promos and video packages are like a negative i'm not saying who needs them forget them i just think that the show it, it it what clearly wasn't hurt by not having a lot of that stuff. I can agree with that. Um, I think, Doc, what you are describing is what I have said many, many years is what essentially makes professional wrestling live action shonen. Mm. Because shonen anime, uh, as some of you out there might know, Doc does an anime podcast. I used to do an anime podcast. I think that in the case of what you're describing with the characters and their journey, I think you are very much describing what people see in particular characters in Shonen. And it isn't necessarily about the confrontation that's going to happen between two particular characters on the show Mm -hmm. it's about the journey getting there or the journey that they're on Uh, that's why you can follow a shonen anime for 20 years it's why you can follow somebody's wrestling career for 20 years Mm -hmm. or a basketball team you know to make it more relatable right Uh, you could follow a steph curry for his whole career you could follow lebron for 20 years you know and that is as important as selling the fight, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been watching the Creed movies in the last few days and the Rocky movies. And those are as much about selling the fight, the culmination, the climax, as it is the character's journey. And I think professional wrestling uh, 
has both, and it's important to have both. I think just because of varying circumstances, Forbidden Door had to lean in one direction, Mm. but there was really nothing detrimental in the end. I like that analysis. I think that that's very sharp. That's an that's an excellent way to to diagram it. I, I really like that. It's a great point. Um, I still I still got a little anime brain left in you. Me. Do I, st- <laughs> you I do. got a little left in the tank? Speaking of sharp objects, are you ready to talk blood, about blood and guts? <laughs> blood and guts. And this was the episode of AEW Dynamite. That took place at the Little Caesars Arena in my hometown of Detroit, Michigan. Detroit. Now, I had friends at this show. I was there, of course. But just for a little preview, um, I surprisingly got a direct deposit from uh, the state of Michigan unemployment that I was due months ago. And this was on the Sunday or or the Saturday before the show. And I decided just to look around to see what tickets are available. And then I saw that there was a ticket in the fourth row available. And I thought to myself, do I want to keep my ticket or do I want to be a big baller? (laughs) And I decided, I think I want to be a big baller. And I got this fourth row seat, and I sold my original seat to my friend Hero, who was very happy about getting to go. And there were 13,000 strong at the LCA, if not more. Uh, There were still a few tickets available at the gate. They might have sold the walk-ups. I'm not sure. But blood and guts. This was such a joy to experience live because I don't think I can recall the last time I was at a wrestling show that was this big while simultaneously having that level of energy. Uh, The closest I can remember is some of the, the Ring of Honor Dragon Gate shows back in the 2000s when Ring of Honor and Dragon Gate had their working relationship, Mm. or the one time TNA came to the Palace of Auburn Hills, and it had that kind of big show feel, but it also had a real level of fan energy that was palpable. Like ECW, but blown up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And Doc, I was actually sitting next to a gentleman. As you know, at wrestling shows, fans bring their belts. I was actually sitting next to a gentleman who had the V4 IWGP heavyweight title. Oh, the the good one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the good one. The best best one. I I saw fan... Yeah. DJM, have you, how has your feeling on the new belt evolved or has it? I remember you, you were kind of, you were good with it mostly, I think, when it first came out and I was kind of down on it. Are you still good with it? I think I would say I'm good with it. Um, I don't like it as much as the V4. I don't like it as much as the the Lion Head title. You on that one? Yeah. Oh, right. Right. I think I've grown and, and, to like it more 
as the months have gone on. Like, it's not better than V4 for sure, but it's like seeing it on on Jay, seeing it on Kazu. I'm like, okay, okay, this is all right. Yeah, it's it's okay. It's okay. Uh, And I got to see this live and it was so awesome. Uh, The I, I want to talk. I want to talk about one match that opened Dynamite in particular, and that was Orange Cassidy. Yes, DJM is talking about Orange Cassidy again, everybody, versus Ethan Page. And the story of this match was Ethan Page is a legit heavyweight. Orange Cassidy is not. And Dan Lambert was just going all over Orange Cassidy, saying there's no way that Orange Cassidy could be a real heavyweight and just match him power for power and strength for strength. And this match was just a continued testament to how brilliant Orange Cassidy is as an in-ring performer. They built this match around Orange Cassidy body slamming Ethan Page. (laughs) It was so great. And when it happened, the crowd erupted. And it was just, this was so pure professional wrestling 101. And it was just done so perfectly. Ethan Page played his role. Dan Lambert played his role. Uh, Bryce Remsburg was Bryce Remsburg. And Orange Cassidy did everything just perfectly. And it was just a great bit of professional wrestling. And I remember, I don't know if you saw this on TV, Doc. I remember during this match, I said, why is Dan Lambert holding a bottle of orange juice? Uh, did they do a promo with that or something? Why Dan Lambert was holding a bottle of orange juice? Uh, I don't I don't know if they mentioned it, honestly. I don't recall. Okay, because for, for those that don't know, orange juice is where Orange Cassidy gets his strength. Like Steve Austin with beer, Kurt Angle with milk. Orange Cassidy, which makes sense, gets his power from orange juice. And the orange juice came into play later on in the match. And I just felt like that entire thing was just perfect professional wrestling. And Orange Cassidy is just a brilliant worker. He's genuinely brilliant. And he doesn't have to do a whole lot to mm-hmm. get people to react. And I just think he's brilliant. I think the, the people with kind of curmudgeonly thoughts about him are going to have to eat it uh, after this week. Um, and after after this, probably after this year, because, DJM, I don't know if you know this, but AEW has a lot of injuries right now. <laughs> and I'd heard. The, I heard. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of the guys at or near the top of the card are not there. But Orange Cassidy is fresh. Not just freshly squeezed. He's fresh coming back from injury. He's a rating straw. He's uh, he gets a big pop in the building. I think that they're going to have to rely on this guy a little bit in the near term and use him in bigger spots. So I think look for Orange Cassidy um, on Dynamite on a pretty regular basis in some featured matches, I would say. And I think people will be happy about that. Um, I will talk about the tag team match that happened later in the show where Danhausen. And his surprise partners, the multi-belt-holding FTR, took on Max Caster and the Gun Club. For whatever reason, 
Austin Gunn was wearing glitter during this match, and it got <laughs> everywhere. Did did this come off on TV? Not as much as you were saying. Like when I looked, I could tell, but it's just one of those things, right? I mean, the, it's it's the live experience enhances things. Like you, the live experience you see Austin Gunn's glitter. I remember when I saw um, uh, Satoshi Kojima wrestle live. One of the things that came across to me live that never quite came across in the same way on TV was how fucking loud and crisp that man snaps his cape when he comes into the ring. That thing mm. could slice slice an apple in half. It is sharp and loud, but it's just one of those things. The the gun glitter maybe that that comes across live. And. Danhausen, for folks that don't know, is actually a Michigan native. And one, the reaction for the acclaimed was huge. Yes. The reaction for Danhausen was also huge. But holy mother, FTR. Man, if you want to talk about being over, FTR was over, over. Yeah, uh, they are a phenomenal tag team, and man, are they over! It is. It was loud for FTR. It was loud. And is it just me, or it, do they seem so much more comfortable now as kind of these style baby faces? When you say these style, what do you mean exactly? Uh, well, they are not. They don't strike me as baby kissing baby faces you know what i mean they're not uh saying like you know or at least okay so i admit i i have been out of the loop on aw so maybe i am wrong but what i am getting from them by feel is not that they're like if it wasn't for you people we will be nothing and we it's just they just sort of are themselves and they are these rough and tumble guys and they're not taking shit from anyone uh, and they're tired of hanging out with the heels and taking orders from them, and they're doing things their own way. I think that's a good way to put it. They are, they are, I think the big thing that they keep talking about is how much they love professional wrestling. Right. And that is going to get you over as a babyface with the AEW crowd. If you just show how much you love pro wrestling they'll love you back. That's pretty much the, the prerequisite to, to make something happen in AEW or, or even just or to, to get booed. You to, do the opposite, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which leads us into blood and guts and the cage started coming down. I'm pretty sure during the commercial break, right at the top of the nine o'clock hour. Uh, and that's when the cage started coming down. And I realized, okay, this is going to be for the remainder of the show. And yeah, there was plenty of violence. There was some some good, good violence all over this show. We saw John Moxley with a fork. We <laughs> saw Wheeler Yuta covered in blood and, and thumbtacks and, and glass. And, and he licked, <laughs> shout out to Grant, he, he licked a, a blade of glass. And it was just my section of the crowd was so into violent, bloody Wheeler, Utah. It, it was just 
It was great. Violent, bloody Wheeler Utah is wonderful. And seeing the Jericho Appreciation Society dressed as Chippendale dancers for whatever reason, I don't know. <laughs> it was so good. And just, Daniel it Garcia's was a stupid headband. <laughs> I, I said this in the crowd. I said this in a moment of silence. Take off that stupid ass do rag. And <laughs> th- that's, that's all I could say was just like, why and it's so his good. thing now it has yes. become his thing now and the whole thing was just this wonderful violent spectacle and it was a blast it was i was so sports entertained that mm-hmm. there's really no other way to put it it was just it was a joy and a blast and just good violent pro wrestling fun you know these kind of matches, as you probably would guess, are are not usually my bag. Um, but but this one, I mean, it was really good. Uh, you you couldn't take your eyes off it. Um, there were so many compelling, bloody, interesting kind of dynamics and spots and segments that were, you know, all these huge personalities colliding. You know, Claudio is first dynamite getting to do his thing and Jericho being Jericho. You know, I didn't actually talk about him on forbidden door, but I think, you know, talking about the Garcia do rag, I mean, it's so stupid, right? It's, it's, but you know, you know, that to me has Jericho's fingerprints all over it where he's like, look, you're, you're plain ordinary meat and potatoes or not even meat and potatoes, your white bread, Daniel Garcia. It's nothing remarkable about, about your look. So we gotta get you booed. Wear this fucking dumb hat. Wear this. We gotta spice hat. it up a little bit. Sorry, I said we gotta spice it up a little bit. And, yes, and I feel exactly. Like I said, exactly. I feel like I said that when Daniel Garcia joined the Jericho Appreciation Society. My thought was, it would be too easy for him to be in the Blackpool Combat Club because he already does that. Yeah. Exactly. Him, and it, him being with Jericho is what he needed. It is. Yes. Like a great mentor. Right. I mean, and it's like seeing what he's doing for the young guys in JAS and seeing what he did for Shota Umino at Forbidden Door, like really accentuating his strengths and, and trying to establish that crowd connection with Shooter. Like, Jericho is the anti Keiji Mudo. Jericho, like as much as I disagree with the man in terms of his politics and what have you, in terms of his professional wrestling career and the way that he just in, in AEW and New Japan and elsewhere, like keeps highlighting getting over other guys. Um, because he's smart and knows like that's actually the better long-term financial play is to establish these relationships with guys so that you can lead to a better match down the road and help build them up and make them interesting so that they can be your future opponents. Like, I don't know, man, it's such, it's part of what made forbidden door so special is like seeing stuff like that. And like, and it's, it was a huge part of blood and guts, right? It's like, um, him, uh, what he's been done with Eddie Kingston. I mean, this whole 
feud is about him and Eddie Kingston. Um, and not that Eddie even necessarily needed it because he's so over huge, but like, I don't know, man, like I, I really like that, uh, that rivalry. Um, what do you think about, uh, the Claudio and Eddie interactions? I feel like it is validating for someone <laughs> who has followed both of their careers for, I guess now over 15 years, I know where it started for those two. And it is, it is a great little bit of continuity for us Chikara fans and us indie wrestling fans from the ancient times. And I'm looking forward to Eddie who can never let anything go, uh, bringing that up with Claudio again. And honestly, for a long, long time, Claudio Castagnoli was one of my favorite wrestlers. He's athletic, he's strong, he's technically sound, he has cool moves, he works well with everybody. If you like seeing guys uh, work with junior heavyweight and, and X division and cruiserweight type of guys. There's nobody on earth better than Claudio. I've been a fan of his, a big, big fan of his for a long, long time. And I love that this is already looking like it's going to be a showcase for him. And same goes for Eddie Kingston. This will be uh, another very long term storyline that, will reach a culmination and i'm here for it do you think claudio is a future all elite wrestling world heavyweight champion i don't know yet i feel like it's way too early okay uh well yeah i mean i i hear you in terms of like how they're gonna book him just conceptually i think that there's a good chance because certainly his credibility and star power and everything, but even more than that, it's like anyone who like has followed his career in, in Stanford knows that I mean, he never got to win the big one. So it will be sort of, I think validating even to long-term AEW fans. They, I, I think that they would, accept it you know they would it wouldn't be the sort of reaction like you just walk in here and win our title kind of thing it would be uh like yeah man you deserve this and in a, in a place that's rational where you're finally going to get what you what you deserve i i think that at minimum he will have a really good run as tnt champion if nothing else oh man you just made me think about matches he might have with miro because when I think of the TNT title, I just think of Miro. Holy cow. <laughs> That's going to be so good. I mean, yeah. and they they could have had plenty of matches in in uh, the Fed. I just haven't seen them. But in this I'm environment, sure they I think it's going to be I'm sure great. they did. Yeah. But I, but it's a new environment makes it all new. So, um, so yeah, I, th- this show was amazing. I'm so jealous you guys I go to it live. It was a great Dynamite. I think it was a really great follow-up to Forbidden Door. Um, you know, it highlighted a lot of the same people from AEW. And I think 
planted the seeds for a lot of really cool future programs. And I, I'm super excited to see uh, where things go. I'm really excited about the Brody King, John Moxley title match. I'm really, really pumped for that. I agree. And watching this battle Royal uh, live, when it came down to the end, and then I saw that Brody King was still in it, I realized, oh, Brody King is going to win this thing. He's really going to win this thing. And lo and behold, he did. And I think that's really cool. We've got something fresh and new. And it's something that puts Brody King in the spotlight uh, away from Malachi Black because he's been good in Ring of Honor. He's been good in PWG. And this this gives Brody King uh, a chance to show a, a larger group of fans that he's really good. And he is. So I, I'm really happy about that. Totally, totally. He He's had a nice little year, to be honest with you. I mean, um, was it Mania Weekend or or thereabouts that he beat Minoru Suzuki in a New Japan ring um, on Strong? And I thought that was actually, that was a nice little, I think, uh, bellwether for him. Showed you that, like, New Japan uh, is good with him. You know, he almost won the Strong title. Uh, I think he was runner-up in that initial tournament that saw Tom Lawler uh, win the gold. Um, so new Japan likes him. Uh, AEW clearly likes him now here. And I'm excited that like, he gets to like have a, a, a big time singles match in front of an AEW crowd. Cause that's something, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but AEW fans that are, that are only kind of following AEW haven't really seen. And I, I think that they're going to, going to be, uh, in for a treat. And this is such a nice first title defense for Mox. This is so perfect. I love it. I completely agree. So now that we're both high on AEW, uh, we're back on the payroll. Yeah. Uh, I will wrap up with one other thing. I will just say that I haven't been to a wrestling show with that level of energy since I attended Chikara King of Trios 2010 in Philadelphia. And that wow. was three that was three nights worth of wrestling when I almost nearly missed my flight Sunday night. <laughs> and yeah, it was just that kind of energy at a wrestling show. And I had friends who even went to Forbidden Door and yeah, it was just that kind of incredible energy at a wrestling show. It's something that Really, you can't take for granted uh, before AEW. You can't take that for granted. And it just felt really good. It felt really good. AEW is feel-good pro wrestling. It really is. It is. Uh, you can't touch them right now. I mean, right now, they're, they are really just uh, in, in a class above what the trolls can, can reach. Uh, they, they can do no wrong at the moment. And the trolls can stay mad. <laughs> they can stay mad. All right. Let's talk about Shin Nihon Pro Res, yes. New Japan Pro Wrestling, and the upcoming G1 Climax 32. Ah, uh, this is my favorite time of year, DJM. This is, a lot of people say Wrestle Kingdom is wrestling Christmas, and I respect that, but 
if if that's wrestling Christmas, then this is wrestling Hanukkah because for day after day after day after day, you keep getting these gifts of incredible incredible nights of awesome action, and this year, uh, things are different uh, for a number of reasons in the G one. We're having four blocks of seven instead of the traditional two blocks of 10. So there are 28 competitors. And you might think to yourself, oh, my God, the G1 it was so long before. How am I going to hold on? Actually, even with the semifinals included, going to be fewer matches because each guy, rather than having to wrestle nine matches, only has to wrestle six matches. So even with the extra two matches for the semifinals, it's uh, in aggregate fewer total matches, Um, which I think is good because it's better on the guys' bodies. I mean, we know that G1 is when everyone is really trying hard every single night. And to do that in nine singles matches every other day, you know, maybe occasionally you get a break. Occasionally you get Toriano. Uh, but I mean, that's brutal on your body and the, the fact that it's going to be a little bit less brutal, I think is a good thing. It's a very good thing. So, um, I have the blocks in front of me and what I want to do is I want to read them off DJM. And as I read each block, I want to get your prediction who's coming out of it. Cause I think this is really, really interesting because the fact that there can be four block winners instead of just two means that you could, I think, see at least one, if not two, upset block winners. Because winning the block doesn't automatically elevate you to a G1 final. It just means you are in the semifinal, and I think there's room for a couple of surprises here. Um, are you ready? Go. All right. The A block, the Haas block as some have called it, features Lance Archer, Jonah, Toru Yano, Kazuchika Okada, Tom Lawler, Jeff Cobb, and a returning Bad Luck Fale. Who do you got coming out of the A block? Coming out of the A block, I have Kazuchika Okada. I do as well. I'm going to go chalk on this one. I am really looking forward to Jonah versus Jeff Cobb. That's going to be a lot of beef uh, in the ring. And they have like seeded that on New Japan Strong. In fact, tonight uh, on Strong, on the the Empire Rising show, they're going to have a TMDK versus United Empire. I think it's an eight man. And we will get another Jonah versus Cobb face off in the ring before G1. So look forward to that. Now, before we move out of the A block, Doc, I feel like we have to mention this because this is something that I know you and I are probably going to argue about on a later episode. Okay. Filthy Tom Lawler is in the A block. Yeah. But you know who else is in the A block? (laughs) Toruyano? (laughs) Toruyano, yes. (laughs) So, okay. I, I I am looking forward <laughs> to the match between Tom Lawler and Toru Yano. Oh, I feel man. like that that one's going to be 
that one's going to be one to keep an eye on. That that one, I I have to admit, I I am looking forward to that one too. That'll be a lot of fun. Because be Filthy fun. Tom on the Indies, he's a damn goofball a lot. Yeah. Yes, yes. And he, I'm you looking tell forward he has to that, that goofy side in New Japan. Honestly, um, mm-hmm. and I I think it's a little. Maybe I'll be proved wrong on this. We could argue about this. I think it's a little unfortunate for him that he's in a block with so many just huge guys because I'm not sure, and maybe you can help me here uh, as someone who's seen him on the indies more than me because I only saw him in MLW a little bit before Strong. Uh, Does he work well with like big guys? Because on Strong, he's mainly wrestling guys that are roughly his size, um, and he's doing a lot of mat-based work. I believe he can. I haven't seen a lot of it either, but he's been in pro wrestling long enough to know what he needs to do. So I think he'll be fine. Yeah. And it's not like we're talking about scrubs. Archer and Cobb know what to do with the small guy. No doubt. Okay. All right. B block. We have Taichi. Tamatonga, hot young baby face Tamatonga, uh, Tomohiro Ishii, Jay White, Sonata, uh, the the Pancake Lord himself, Great Okan, and Chase Owens. My pick for the bleep B block will be Switchbredo, Jay Oito. Okay, so you got the champion coming out of his block. Very good. Um, I, I'm looking at this block and I'm saying this is Jay White's block to lose. Yeah. Okay. I, hmm. There, I, to me, I see that like there's a couple different ways this block could go. Uh, I, I don't think it's, it's as much of a lock, although I do agree Jay is the favorite. I think there's an outside chance Okan could win it because the office is very high on this guy and she will be sooner rather than later in the main event scene. Sorry. And he's over. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely is over. But what I think is going to happen, I think history is going to repeat itself. And I think Tomohiro Ishii is going to spoil Jay White. I haven't actually looked at the Mm -hmm. final bookings, so maybe I'm full of shit and this isn't, in the cards, but I feel like Ishii and Jay White being in the same block, like Ishii played spoiler to him. It wasn't last year because he wasn't in it last year, but two years ago, I guess. And that was, that was amazing. And I think the beneficiary of that will be Sonata. Sonata's already been in a G1 final. Uh, and so I think uh, I, I am someone who, for some reason, I'm always reticent to bet on the champ coming out of their own block. I I, it, I feel like Gato likes to have them lose to set up title programs. So I'm going to bet not on the champ. I'm going to go Sonata here. I respect that choice. I do. Uh, Sonata was probably my second choice coming out of this block. So I get it. I do. Um, I would not be surprised if Jay wins this block. Maybe not necessarily convincingly, 
but he he wins the block and maybe he has a loss or two to Sonata or to Great Ocon. He has a few losses here and there um, just for future title challengers. That makes sense. Uh, I'll say Sonata and I'll say Great Ocon. Um, so we're Ooh. kind of we're kind of on the same page. Ooh, yeah, it's staring at me right in the face, DJM. What mm. if instead of Ishii, it's Tama Tonga that costs his former Bullet Club four 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 life teammate in the end? I could see that for sure. Mm. I'm not feeling it. Not I, coming I out of the block, but I don't preventing s- Jay from coming out. Like of the playing block. a spoiler? Exactly. Yes. Maybe. Maybe. Because I... I Everything I hear from the VOW people who have their their sources in the locker room is that this G1 is going to be used to crank the heat up on the the Bullet Club Civil War stuff. So maybe this is a space for that with I mean, although Tomatong was already out of the Bullet Club, but still. Okay. So we 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 differ when it comes to B block. That's fine. Just Keep a mental note of who we've got coming out of it. C-block. We deviate a little bit, but we're we're close. We're close. Yeah, yeah. And I do, I, I still agree with you that Jay is the favorite. I will not be shocked if he comes out of the block. C-block. This, I, I like this block a lot. Um, we have Kenta returning. Mm. This, uh, this is like the the DJM favorites block. <laughs> it is. You got a lot of your people here. We have a Zack Saber Jr., Hiroki Goto, the Ace himself, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Tetsuya Naito. Um, you know, recent eye surgery, Tetsuya Naito. I believe that's why he didn't attend for mm-hmm. Door. Yeah. We have uh, G one debutante Aaron Hanare. So excited for him that he's in a G1. Good for him. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, man. And we have Evil. Who you got? I might throw you out of your chair with this one. But I am picking Evil to oh. win the C block. Oh, man. Okay. That's not a bad pick. That's not a bad pick. Uh, I was going to go Zach here. My heart says Zach. That's what my heart says. Mm-hmm. But my brain says that they kind of want to keep evil in a prominent position. They might have Jay and evil in the semifinals, both of them coming out of their block, which would be really the culmination of whatever is happening with the various factions in bullet club. Uh, I feel like Evil will probably have a lot of shenanigans to help him get wins. Yes. And I can see him coming out of the block and having a big Bullet Club meltdown match with Jay White. That could that could be really awesome. I, I would be I would not be mad at that, honestly. I, I think you have a chance to see some of those fireworks in his match with Kenta. You got two uh Bullet Club guys. Although Kenta, in a strange way, sort of seems like um, he's like the Pluto, the planet, like the very far yeah. outer orbit of the Bullet Club. You know what I mean? He doesn't really seem ingratiated in the goings on 
Uh, but he has been gone for a while. So, um, but as, as far as I know, he's still like J white bullet club rather than yeah. house of torture bullet club. Um, another match to keep an eye on for me is Tanahashi versus Aaron Hanare because these two have teamed together in world tag league. They have uh, a thing like Hanare was a, like a member, you know, of the um, Hantai and, had a lot of respect for Tanahashi, teamed with him a lot. Tanahashi, you know, not necessarily took him under his wing, but they just did a lot of promos together. And, and you know, there are guys traveling the road together. And now here they are. Uh, Hanare has turned his back on Hantai, and they're going to have this match in the G1. I think it could be really good. Uh, and also, uh, Zach and Naito, I believe is scheduled for the final night. Uh, so that could be a, a decisive match. I hope that Tetsuya Naito makes it through the tournament. He's been... <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh. I didn't expect I, I you was, to say that. I'm sorry. Like, for the la- It's been like two years or so mm-hmm. where Naito's just been dealing with injury after injury, the, the neck know. injury, the knee injuries, the eye injury. He's He's been beat up as i mean i maybe he should have been our stock down i i worry about the guy not stock down for ability but just yeah i mean what it's it's been it's been a rough couple of years since he lost the the ic and world heavyweight titles um it's been hard for him to get gain uh booking momentum although he's as popular as ever so yeah Okay, and so, finally, the D block. Yep. Okay, yep. You got evil. I have Zach come out of C block. The D block. Boy, this is this is an interesting one. <laughs> this is a, this one is going to have some some interesting matches. There's a lot of Bullet Club in this block. So we have debuting El Fantasmo, the debuting David Finlay, Yoshi Hashi, Will Osprey, Shingo Takagi. Juice Robinson, Rock Hard, and Yujiro Takahashi. Who you got? I feel like, kind of like with the B block, there's a very obvious favorite, and it's his block to lose. And that's Will Ospreay. Mm. I feel like this is his block to lose. I think he's the easy favorite to take this one. I know him and Shingo are probably going to have a banger match during the round robin and probably have the match of the tournament in their block final. Uh, I bet Juice Robinson and David Finley will be really good. Uh, I'm sure, and I wrote this in my notes, El Fantasmo will probably have a few surprise wins and hmm. finish with a respectable score. Uh, but he probably won't win the whole thing. But people will come out of this G1 saying El Fantasmo had a really good showing. Uh, and this will be a really good start to his move to the heavyweight division. But I feel like this will be Will Ospreay's block to lose. And I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I think we have to keep an eye on Yoshihashi coming out with the goose egg. <laughs> oh no poor, you, poor tacos you, you think more than david finley yes 
Okay. Okay. I, I, I bet David Finley and Juice Robinson, that could go either way. Because mm-hmm. those two have be history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's going to be really good. There are some people of a of a prominent stature in the, the wrestling community who believe you will see an upset here and that rock hard Juice Robinson is going to take the block. Mm, um, okay. As a sort of elevation, continued elevation of his new persona. Um, and the United I, States title. That, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Um, mm. Although I don't see it happening quite that way. Uh, like you, I think, I don't think Phantasma will have a lot of wins, but I think he will have important ones. And I think the matches that he loses, he's going to lose in such a way that it will be memorable. You don't have to win to get over, uh, as people like Darby Allen uh, have shown us many times. I think I think back to when Will Ospreay, uh, right before he became a heavyweight, right? That same year he won BOSJ and then immediately was in the G1 with Shingo as well. Like, Will won, I think he won his first match and his last match, and maybe one other match. But, like, night one and then the final night are, like, you know, nights that a lot of people pay attention to. You know, not everyone is going to look in on every single tournament night. Uh, but I don't know who El Phantasmo's got in either of those matches. I think that Will Ospreay may may take a, you know, loss to Phantasmo. I think those two know each other from Phantasmo's time in the European scene. I think that match is going to rule. It's going to be, well, fantastic. Um, Juice Robinson Finley that you talked about will be really good. You think so? Oh, the, man, Yujiro's in this block, and you think we got to worry about Yoshihashi? <laughs> Yujiro's in this block. Did you forget? No, Tokyo I'm saying that, here. that Yujiro will probably beat Yoshihashi with some... <laughs> Some bullet club shenanigans or or something. Maybe maybe Yoshihashi will get distracted by any number of ladies Yujiro has around the ring. <laughs> Yoshihashi doesn't think about women. He's totally focused. What are you talking about? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm um, not saying it will happen. I'm saying it we have might to keep be something. Keep an eye on it. If if we're like four matches in. And Yoshihashi's got got the old goose egg. <laughs> we might have a problem. Yeah, because there are only six. So, you know what I mean? It's not like yeah. he's got... It, typically, four matches, it's like, oh, we're not even halfway through. But uh, we only got six matches to wrestle. <laughs> so, that could be a problem. That would be a big problem. Um, do, do you think there's a scenario where you know, Will and Shingo being such huge favorites, like cancel each other out and someone like a juice sneaks in. Do you think that's a viable kind of way for it to happen? I can see juice being a spoiler for one of them. Like I can see Will and Shingo making their way to the block final and then juice beating one of them. But whoever is in that D block final versus Juice will beat Juice. Man, I have to say, when this block was announced, I was so mad Shingo and Will were in the same block because I was thinking this could be a final here. Um, I was hoping, but I agree. I think the Will's the favorite and Will's coming out of the block. So just to review, we both have Okada coming out of A. Yep. 
we have uh, I have Sonata, you have Jay coming out of block B. Um, you have Evil, I have Zack Sabre Jr. coming out of block C, and we both have Will Ospreay coming out of block D. Now, I don't know exactly how the semifinals are meant to work. You know what I mean? If they're going to reseed based on points, or they're just going to do A versus B, C versus D. Um, who do, do you want to, based on your semifinalists, throw out a prediction? I won't make you say who's going to win the whole thing, but who do you think is going to meet in the final if you had to pick? Um, if these are the semifinals, uh, I believe that it will be Jay White and Will Ospreay. Okay. That will be a kick-ass G1 final. That would that would be amazing. Um, so the way I have it is I have uh, Zach meeting Will in the semifinal, and they're going to reprise their you know continuing feud and have a great match. I think Will will win and go on to face Kazuchika Okada in the final to again continue another ongoing story here with uh, Big Brother Okada, Little Brother Will Osprey. But I think either one of those finals will be tremendous. And I am so excited about the G1 this year. Um, I, I think it's going to be like just I, I love all the debutantes. I'm hoping that we get the crowd noise, you know, because uh, I'm sure we will. I'm sure because I believe Tokyo Joshi Pro and DDT are going to be allowing fans to cheer again soon. And I'm certain that at, by the time the finals are here, fans will be allowed to cheer. I'm certain of it. Oh, boy. I, I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Speaking of celebrations and cheering, we're recording on July the 2nd. A full 48 hours before the 4th of July, DJM. People mm-hmm. are already shooting fireworks in my neighborhood. Uh, <laughs> what the hell, man? I'm sorry. People got to sleep. <laughs> Come on. I'm sorry about that. Oh, so, so aggravating. Okay. Um, yeah, G1, going to be great. Very excited. Uh, another thing that has excited you and I is the return of Prodigal Son Kushida to New Japan Pro Wrestling after his stint in uh, NXT. He's back. He came back as, you know, himself, same old Kushida back to the future. Um, He is going to be living in California, he says, and he's flying over to work the tours. He said it is his goal to help New Japan Pro Wrestling succeed in the U.S. and, of course, to wrestle his ass off in Japan. He wants the next uh, junior heavyweight title shot against Taiji Ishimori. Ishimori said, you got to earn it over the next tour. So we'll see how that goes. What did you think of his return? How do you think things will go? How is he going to fit in? Do you think this is all there is to the story? I really hope there isn't because if there's one guy in new Japan pro wrestling who could really use some freshening up with his character, it's Kushida. I think his run in NXT has generally been regarded as mostly forgettable. And for him to 
just kind of come back and pick up where he left off, I'm not exactly over the moon about Kushida coming back. I'm hoping that his junior heavyweight championship defense will be the catalyst for something, win, lose, or draw. And maybe this will be the beginning of him doing something with New Japan Strong, since he's going to continue living in the United States. I really, really hope that Kushida has a spark to him. So we, uh, you and I have heard via the grapevine that is Voices Wrestling that Kushida wanted to come over and return as a heel. He pitched this idea to the booking team and that he was interested in doing an MMA-style gimmick rather than his you know, Marty McFly shtick. I think that that could still be in play. He, you know, I don't know if he's outright denied that he wanted, you know, the, the heel stuff, but like his his promo sort of, you know, is is the negation of that. You know, he's saying my character is going to be Hantai, rah, rah, you know, good guy. I think there's still a chance that we could see something interesting. The, 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 when is it? July 3rd, 4th, and 5th, I think, is the final leg of the New Japan Road Tour before the G1. And Kushida is teaming with Tanahashi on multiple nights against the Mm. Bullet Club. Hmm. I don't know if I want him joining Bullet Club. Club. (laughs) I don't know if I want him to join Bullet Club. I feel Uh, like I've been saying for a while it should be Suzuki Gun, shouldn't it? uh Uh-huh. You would think so, especially an MMA-style gimmick would fit perfectly there, I think. Um, But I don't know. I mean, when's the last time? Is Zach the last new face? No, Doki is the last new Suzuki Goon member. That's been about yeah. three years. So yeah, mm-hmm. they could use a new recruit. Bullet Club gets everyone. Um, right. But but I, you know, maybe he could turn on his old uh, bestie in, in those shows maybe, and not necessarily join Bullet Club, but, uh, you know, stab Tanahashi in the back. That would um, be some good pro wrestling storytelling. And I, I would only hope that it's for Suzuki good. That's what I hope. Yeah. Would you would you prefer a bullet club heel turn to a, you know, Seymour Kushida? Or like which is the more preferable of, of your uh of those two, you know, let's assume he's not gonna do Suzuki Goon just for the sake of argument. Which would you rather? I would l- I would not be opposed to Kushida in the House of Torture. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. That threw, I see, you know what? That actually, you know, I, I think I agree. Because, like, they only have, you know, it's three guys in Dick Togo. So they need some help. <laughs> so, I, yeah. If it's House of Torture, I would say, yeah, that's cool. That, that would be different. And, and it would be something fresh and new for him. Uh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm I'm into that. Um, so I could see it. I um I, I'll tell you that the only reason 
I would not be super upset if he's just babyface Kushida. Is A, I've missed him. Uh, and B, you mentioned the New Japan Strong stuff. Well, you may or may not know this, CJM, but uh, StarCast is coming to Nashville at the end of July. And New Japan Pro Wrestling is going to do uh, a Music City Mayhem show. Hey. So Strong is coming to the Southeast once again after a couple years away. They're going to do North Carolina the weekend before, and then they're going to uh, roll up into Nashville with StarCast. And if I could see Kushida wrestle live in person and get to get to cheer for him as just Kushida, I wouldn't hate that at all. That'd be a that's a that'd be a huge thing for me. Oh, that that's totally justified. I I got to cheer for Claudio Castagnoli for the first time in like a decade. So <laughs> I'm I'm totally get where that comes from. Yeah, I'm hoping Kushida's on that show. I'm Hiromu is wrestling in Carolina, so I'm hopeful I'll get to see Hiromu in person. Um, Eddie Kingston is on the North Carolina show, so maybe they'll they'll bring some AEW folks down to Nashville. I'm excited about this little show. Yeah, um, yeah that sounds like it'd be fun. Uh, this is the the whole f- kind of festival around Ric Flair's last match. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that he's, he needs the the money. Sling can't be perfect. No, it's it is a rest. I mean, it's if you needed a reminder that it is not all, you know, the idyllic things we've been saying in the show that it is a, a carny ass sleazy business. Uh, this the Ric Flair's last match stuff, man. <laughs> it's that's it's there for you. Um, but no, I I have uh, I'm crossing my fingers for Kushida. For honestly, I think a Kushida heel turn would be for the best, and. Uh, it would be something new, uh, which is always cool. Um, DJ, and that brings us to the end of our our format sheet. Do you have any final thoughts? Everyone out there, listeners, wrestling fans everywhere, I was right about Orange Cassidy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you, yes, you were. You were absolutely right about the fire ant. Uh, and we were very sorry we doubted you. Subtle doctor, take it home. Well, uh, I will ask you a question first, DJM. If people want to apologize to you for their awful Orange Cassidy opinions on Twitter, how would they do that? You can do that on Twitter at CallMeDJM. You can find me on Twitter at the Subtle Doctor. You can tweet the show. At or open door rest pod, open door W R E S pod. You could send us an email, uh, open door rest pod at gmail.com. Uh, follow us there if you want to, uh, on Twitter rather, uh, if you want to stay in touch with when new episodes come out, if you want to be in the loop for that. Um, if you want to support the show, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify wherever you obtain the show and uh, leave us a review, a five-star review and a nice little written review that helps our discoverability. Um, And Hey, the one thing you can do that may be better than all of that. 
find someone you know in real life, tell them about our show. Just one person. Say, hey, I like these guys. I think you might like them too. Doc, something happened today in, in, in my real world a couple of days ago. Uh, Thursday, after Blood and Guts in the morning, I had that moment that strikes fear into the heart of podcasters everywhere at work. And just completely out of the blue, oh no! somebody said, so, David... You gonna talk about blood and guts on your podcast? What? Oh my god! And and I swear on the inside, my heart stopped. <laughs> your organs flipped. <laughs> yeah. But if if people in my IRL are listening, there you go. Welcome to the Open Door Wrestling Podcast. Welcome, DJM's colleagues. Welcome. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Open Door Wrestling Podcast. And yeah, uh, this has been an excellent, excellent week of wrestling. So long may it continue. Peace, everybody. <laughs>